You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 589, a punk documentary from the BBC's Open Door, Marie Kondo changes her tune, Ozzy Osbourne retires, and farewell to Tom Verlaine and Barrett Strong. That's all coming up after Kula Shaker and Govinda. website says Cooler Shaker are a English psychedelic rock band and I love them for that dearly uh, still touring <laughs> and about to commence a series of shows across America this was a single from their first album number seven in the UK in 1996 Cooler Shaker and Govinda I unapologetically love that and Cooler mm. Shaker still I've got a lovely little box set of the singles from around that period a vinyl box set mm. because a late friend of mine's brother who's also sat in along with this was an A&R man in uh, in in the, the 90s uh, which is one of the reasons I'm afraid to say why he's no longer with us but um, he was <laughs> he was involved in plugging Cooler Shaker and I remember Neil found about five of those in their garden shed so oh, um, I'm not sure what happened to the others but yes it's, mm. it's, it's so unusual that I tried to look it up to value it on discogs once and couldn't find one so uh, so i think yeah. they are 
bit unusual, but I'm a huge fan of Goose Hacker. I tried to see Crispin Mills sort of, they must have reformed then because I think they split up or they just they did, yes. For they, a they, bit. they split up twice. Yes. Um, when he, he formed that band, the Jeevas. Well, I tr- attempted to go and see the Jeevas, and I say attempted to go and see the Jeevas deliberately because me and my uh, friend tried to go and uh, she, my friend that was in another flat at university, we were like, oh, you know, it was that kind of time of the year when it was everything was starting to wind down. I can't remember if we still if we still had exams or if it was all a bit sort of um I think we might have finished our exams we were sort of waiting to go home we were like oh should we have a look and see what's on and and there were lots of venues in Norwich where we were and we said oh the Jeevas are playing at Norwich Art Centre and they had either a single or an album it might have been both called one two three four that was quite mm. sort of garage rocky and we very much like good saying well like, oh we know it's at the Art Centre it's only a few quid should we go that would be quite good I remember going to the university box office to try and buy them and my friend was charged with buying them whilst I was at the bar and I remember she came up to me and she said I'm afraid I couldn't get the tickets um, <laughs> because the gig's been cancelled because Crispin, Crispin Mills is ill and I went oh is he? She went yeah but I asked the woman in the box office what was wrong with him and she said it was haven't sold enough tickets for my gig itis so so I think, yes. that, I think that probably it was a bit of a fiction but um, yeah I'm good, delighted to hear that again always a fan Welcome along to Parish Council episode 589 I'm Terence Stackham and yes of course it's the question everybody is asking. <laughs> I can never give a straight face to Go on. Is she going to appear in a video with Sam Smith? Let's ask <laughs> Juliet Harris. I mean, I, it's probably a bit much for me, I suspect. It's really not my... Um, it's 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 not my jam, Terence. I mean, I oh. I really like Sam. So this is a performer. Yeah. I think they've got an excellent excellent voice. But you know, I like to have a cardigan on at all times. I don't think <laughs> I'd fit in those videos. I don't think I don't think I'm quite what they're looking for. Anyway, hi everybody. There's a there's an exhibition in London at Raven Row running to the end of March titled mm. People Make Television. Hmm. And um, it's all about back in 1973 and running for about ten years. The BBC launched Open Door, where Mm. a a camera crew and a studio were given to groups and individuals who had, and I quote, voices, attitudes and opinions hitherto unheard or seriously neglected. And thus these people could make their own programme, which would be broadcast on BBC Two. Very worthy and earnest. But, Mm. of course, for every story of social justice, there were also applications from various extreme groups and, frankly, Mm. deranged people. Yes. Um, Jules, it was innovative in 1973. I don't think any mainstream broadcaster would try this today without substantial editorial control being strictly Mm. maintained by that broadcaster. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I... I mean, it's a great idea, and part of me is sorry that this doesn't exist anymore. For we'll give the example of the program that we're going to go on and talk about. Mm. But um, reading this piece in the Guardian about this exhibition, so I mean, I'm going to definitely try and find more of this kind of stuff to watch because um, there was a there was a sort of lovely uh, spoof called East End Channel One, which was a sort of a East End spoof TV channel magazine <laughs> program. There's one segment featuring sort of local young people spoofing Alan Wicker as they solicit views from people passing by and they even managed to get they managed to get Johnny Spate to the late Clive James and Marty Feldman to sort of have walk-on parts playing themselves and Clive James had such a great time he then reviewed it glowingly in his Observer TV column um like you say maybe you know the the the, the argument for editorial control is of course the fact that there were that you know there was an actual racist group I think a sort of pro-Nazi group that manages to sort of get themselves on it but Part of me wonders if, you know, the BBC, as we often seem to say whenever we mention the BBC now, tying itself up in knots seems to come mm. in, the, in the next sentence. And part of me wonders if something like this wouldn't be a fun thing to do again, really, just simply because you're getting the, the, the BBC, I feel, and this is always my big complaint whenever I moan about things like Arena or Late Junction or things like that, is the fact that the BBC stops itself from doing what it was originally established to do, which is to inform, educate and entertain. And I think as strand like this does exactly that is not done elsewhere it might have been done on channel four in the mid 80s possibly but um that doesn't seem to happen now everything is so professionalized and slick on tv and there doesn't seem to be much room for genuine creativity as far as i can see and every uh, you know we live in the age of the internet i suppose where people can create their own content yet 
TV still had the main channel still have a huge viewership. And, and you know, iPlayer is very much used. I, you know, I think there's still there, there's still space for this, although I do see the point about editorial control. Yes, well, the whole concept was imagined by, of all people, David Attenborough, mm. who was then the BBC's director of programming. programming. And the title sequence said, "You, your own say in your own way. But even mm. more terrifying, most of the programmes were live, which must have made for very twitchy viewing for BBC executives. But yes. I, I, I just want to say, I totally agree with you. It, the sort of casual and rather anarchic mm. approach was echoed i think you're right in the in the early days certainly of channel four yes and funnily enough open door closed just as channel four launched <laughs> well, so, as, so when one door closes another door yes opens, yes yeah, very good as part of this look back though at uh open door we've been watching a documentary made for the slot mm. in 1980 a rather wonderful example looking at telford newtown and the young people's mm. local fanzine gutter snipe and this documentary was a delight. It was a snapshot of a moment in time where teenagers and an earnest, uh, rather earnest uh, youth leader. Yeah, wrote Tom. And, I liked Tom a lot. He was yeah, great. Tom yeah. his scarf. Yeah. Wrote and published a fanzine focused on pop music and social issues. Um, the fanzine attracted comment from local town councillors. Mrs. Mary Potts called it <laughs> decadent in the local press. Um, Jules, these fresh-faced uh, young people from the People's Republic of Telford, that, that they made this fanzine, they said, for oppressed teenagers. One of their chief complaints, there's no wimpy bar in Telford. <laughs> I mean, I adored this. I was always going to adore this. I think you suspected that when yeah, you I sent did. me the link to watch it. Yeah. But um, I just absolutely love the the whole atmosphere of this I thought was brilliant and actually it was largely made by um it was largely made by by you know by the young and you really got the impression that the young people were just allowed to do what they wanted and actually the commentary was that they wrote was quite wry and was really funny and the kind of young woman with the hair that did the tour around Telford <laughs> eating various a la carte places watched the premiere of Crossroads and all of those teenagers were sat on a sofa outside someone's house watching their TV through the window eating a la carte chips from the chip shop um i thought it had immense spirit to it i thought it was great it was obvious there was tom and also a, a woman that sounded a little bit scottish without sounding properly scottish um yes. where there's sort of the two sort of people in charge she said we haven't got anybody that can type properly and there was someone with pink hair bashing in a very labored way on on the sort of on a processor it really made me laugh there was a sort of an introduction to telford and the sort of hip potted history of Telford. Like a lot of those new towns, it reminded me of Corby, uh, the People's Republic of Corby, as it used to be known, in that lots of people from Scotland and various mining places were sort of scraped up and deposited in these new towns everyone in Corby had a Scottish accent at one point because they were literally all transplanted from Scotland to Corby and and I, I very much enjoyed in the 50s we'd never had it so good although some of us never had it at all I, I very much enjoyed it was a different kind of sort of more wry comment than you usually would do I like the energy of the punk music it reminded me actually that punk music is quite fun and I enjoyed watching the footage of the young band the Telford is the place to be um Thing. that song was really catchy it looted my head for, for yeah. hours afterwards i'm sorry I, I couldn't find it for the podcast i would have liked people to have heard that it was great but um i i really enjoyed this i thought it was it was you know it was 27 minutes long so it didn't outstay its welcome i liked the different look at the different subcultures so they spoke to some mods and some skinheads and the punks and and it was just really refreshing i think and that's what makes me think but uh, and, uh, you know without sounding like i'm 102 i'm meant to be this podcast young person that increasingly feels a relative and b inaccurate um i've had the pleasure of djing at a private party a family party a couple of weeks ago that was the whole family was there but it was ostensibly a party for the younger child who turned 18 and her and all of her friends were all so lovely and polite and they, they embraced everything they heard they they made some requests that fitted in with that. They knew, I mean, them all knowing the words to Rasputin very nearly finished me off, I must admit. But the thing, every time I spend time with young people, always gives me some sort of hope for the future whenever I spend time sort of articulate, interested groups of young people. And it did make me think, do you know what? I'd love to see those kids make a programme and I can maybe mm. watch it 
when I've just got BBC Two on after tea, at the moment I've got very much into that Robson Green having weekends away because that's what's on BBC Two at 6.30 after House of Games at the moment. And still, I see some TV by accident. I think quite a lot of people still see Mm. TV programmes by accident. I know we've talked previously about the move towards iPlayer and streaming platforms Mm. and all of that, but some people still do. Mm. And part of me thinks, you know... I, I often get the impression that the BBC don't know what to do with certain time slots, like particularly BBC Two, I think, suffers from this. You know, what do we put on at 6.30 till 7 in the evening? What goes at, what goes after news night at quarter past 11? That sort of thing. And I, you know, stick young people on, have something like this on. Why not? Because I just thought this was a lot of fun. And I got, I got completely got the frustration of the youth club leader that was like, this is why crime happens, because our place is being shut down with three weeks with three days notice you know what what are we going to do people end up smashing up cars because that's a way to get kicked rather than forming a band and the arguments he made then are still very much relevant now i think so Mm. so yeah i i loved this i thought it was a, a you know a great window to an era and actually i feel you know having spent time with some young, had had the pleasure of spending with young t- time with young people recently. I'd love to hear what they've got to say. You know, why not shove this on? You know, it's so, so, so you have editorial control. So what? It's, ha- it's, it's possible for it to be done with a light touch. You know, as much as I'll enjoy spending time with Robson Green, put them on at half six on BBC Two. Put them on after news night. Why not? I have checked 43 years later in 2023, there's mm. three McDonald's, a Subway, KFC, Burger <laughs> King, Five Guys, Chicken Cottage, Kebab Shops, Pizza Hut, but still no, no Wimpy, wimpy. But, yeah. but that, that, I mean, there's a Wimpy in Port Slade, I think. I, I have, I had a friend come to visit recently who inquired as to whether visiting a Wimpy was realistic because that's what she wanted to do. And unfortunately, our nearest was not near enough for us mm. to make that a viable option. But yes, maybe if there were more Wimpy bars, there'd be less trouble. For the people in Telford, the nearest one i did check it out is in shrewsbury <laughs> it's about half an hour away so not so good still oh no, no, I, what, I heard one of the people speak negatively about one of the skinheads was very negative about shrewsbury i think shrewsbury and Wolverhampton, in, they said that's where they yes. had to go and see bands and they were really down about it. it's half an hour i checked yes but, and there's but, no by, way by, home yeah no way home that was the problem there were no yeah, uh, trains or buses late at night so again probably little has changed there no i really enjoyed this gutter snipe documentary very much there were there were the scenes in the, the, the I, I loved the, the scenes in the local youth club with half a dozen teenagers dancing to a punk trio, <laughs> and I could find no trace of one of the bands featured. They were called Limited Talent, which I thought was a great name, and they had this. Um, I mean, the, most of these kids were very self-aware, and that's what oh, yes, I enjoyed about them. They had this amazing punk look-alike singer of Freddie Mercury. Yes, they did. And they, they, I, no trace either of their catchy song Law and Order. But, no, uh, I thought, but it's the way that they almost felt like they were writing it on the spot, which I quite enjoyed <laughs> about it as well. Yeah. They were just they were just chanting it, and gradually the tune sort of built up behind it. <laughs> Virtually every young person filmed and interviewed, whether skinhead or punk, had that very self-conscious and inarticulate bearing, which was sadly very prevalent in the 1980s. Mm. All they knew was that they were railing against the straits. Yes. But, you know, similar to what you were saying about uh, how you'd like a modern day version of this. Mm. I would I think how wonderful if there was a catch up show to find yes. out what all of those people are up to now, because 43 like years up. on, they'd yes. all be reaching retirement age. Wouldn't they yeah like you i would love to see those people also this made me think as well the opening bit i couldn't quite work out what's going on up here then i realized and it also reminded me of this other great program the beginning bit was taken from what the papers say that's right yes with the theme music yes and i and 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 the comedy voices reading out the (laughs) the the things where you're never quite sure if they're taking the pee or not and i tried to look up whether or not what the papers say still exists because again that was something that i used to watch by accident when it would be on bbc2 (laughs) at some random time like 5 35 p.m on a on a saturday or you a sort of a liminal space of a time really i'm not really sure what happens at that time on tv at least you know in the days when the sport kind of finished but you know it wasn't the, the boxed office bbc and itv lineups of the Knowles house party or baywatch or the a team or gladi none of that stuff had started yet and i used to watch it by accident because it happened to be on and I, I i don't even know i can't seem to glean if it still exists it just seems to be on 
randomly, it would mm. seem. doesn't mm. really seem to be... It was most recently on BBC Radio 4, apparently, so it wasn't on TV, because yeah. I remember watching it on TV. Uh, Jimmy Hibbert was, is now responsible for doing all the, all the voices, apparently. But, um, mm. yeah, it's, it's very... Um, I, it's very much missed, I think. I miss it because it was quite entertaining. It was a bit like points of view, but but not really. <laughs> if you see what I mean, it was the yeah. points of view satirised. And um, yeah, I, I, it reminded me of how much I liked that as well, actually. It was a reminder of two great poems, but no, a very much like your idea of a sort of a, of a sort of 65 up of, of these people. <laughs> Now, if you'd like to see this, and mm. I think we both rather you think you, you'll do, yeah. enjoy it, you really will. It's on YouTube. See, uh, search for Gutter Snipe Punk Fanzine Telford, and you'll yes. find it. Twenty-seven minutes in duration, every minute pure gold. Oh, it's lovely, really lovely. I think. Coming next, Marie Kondo hides away a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> and Ozzy Osbourne retires. That's right after Tame Impala. <laughs> of Tame Impala at times. I know they can do absolutely sort of pumping rockers and weird psychedelic stuff sometimes, but they're really good at just being a bit listless and a bit sort of spacey at the same time. And so uh, uh, Ennui, I think they're an excellent band, Ennui, despite the fact they're not from France, but they are from Australia, I believe. But um, now I really like Kevin Parker and co. I think they've made some lovely records and that uh, might be my favourite, I think. Feels like we only go backwards by Tame Impala. I like the idea of Kevin Parker writing, recording, playing all the instruments himself and then having a band only for touring. I think yes. too many musicians regret being demogra- uh, democratic. Mm, absolutely. And it seems to work. You know, Tame Impala do well. Um, also, if you like him 
in the Tame Impala, it's worth listening to stuff he did as Pond as well. Mm. That's also very good. True, true. Uh, Tame Impala touring in South America in March. They're playing everywhere. Colombia, Paraguay, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico. they're enormous in South America. I did did an album listen with a friend of mine recently. We couldn't work out why they were so huge in South Mm. America, but they really are. Yeah. It's quite the uh, quite the cliche about how time wishes past, but it's <laughs> yes, it so very true in our case because it is four years ago this very week when mm. Juliet and I we discussed Marie Kondo oh, and yes. her books and particularly her TV shows about tidying up your home for you. Oh yes, and putting your jumpers in in a box and that sort absolutely of thing. folding them in meticulously in a particular yes. way. Uh, I mean, I was rather sympathetic to her viewpoint as I prefer sort of minimalism i suppose at least on the surface i think a house where there are um boxes uh it's, it's probably a, a mental health issue i get the heebie-jeebies <laughs> if i visit a house where there's like boxes and bags and clothes oh, you, and whatever you, would, you, would, you would not enjoy a visit oh, to my flat i oh, sense no, no. I, I did manage to get rid of five whole carriers of clothes today during oh. my afternoon off you would have enjoyed that part of the process i would have, been, I would have liked uh, i would have liked that seeing those go yeah yes that um, was that was a good thing no i i apparently there's a new thing amongst the young people oh, yeah. the gen zedders and uh, this is for me and not for you i said not an age thing but a taste thing hmm. the the exact opposite of Marie, Con- Marie oh, Kondo no. oh, it's no. called cluttercore Sir oh, Terrence no. oh, and no, the no, idea no. is is that you know you just everything that you like you put on your wall or you put oh, on your God. shelf and it's just it's sort of trinketry to the extreme I think it's it's I mean even I find cluttercore a little bit overwhelming I must admit but yes it seems like that's the revenge of the kids on Marie Kondo and literally as we discovered well, Miss Conto's catchphrase was, of course, does it spark joy? Yes, and, uh, you know, keep the items items that spark joy, declutter like your carrier bags of clothes today with those that don't. And I, I took to this rather sensible message. But um, Jules, hold the front page. I understand you have news of a change of heart from Marie Kondo. I mean, I have to say, I am a he. I, I, I am a. I, I like her more than I ever, ever did. I am. Um, I was rather suspicious of her, if you remember correctly. You, 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 you enjoy it. I'm. Yeah. What are you throwing away, Marie? Whose stuff are you throwing away? I bet it isn't yours. Anyway, she's been uh, quoted as saying. Yeah. She now has three children um, and she's been quoted as saying she has quite this is such a lovely quote. It's one of those short quotes that says so much with so little. It kind of fits her minimalist sort of vibe, really, I think. She has four word quote, kind of given up, end of quote, <laughs> on tidying since the birth of her third child. Um, she admitted the world renowned Japanese decluttering expert admitted that with three children to look after, her family home was messy and tidying up was less of a priority now. She told the Washington Post, my home is messy, but the way I am spending my time is the right way for me at this time, at this stage of my life. Yeah, you changed your tune, love, didn't you? So um, she um, she said, I've kind of given that up on that in a good way for me. Now I realise what is important to me is enjoying spending time with my children at home. I'm happy that she's happy. And my, I, I sent this link to my mum, of course, in a sort of a lulls way, to which she replied, Maybe her children spark joy, which I thought was a very very elegant way of dealing with this story. I'm delighted for her, although it does. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm less I've forgiven Marie for her ridiculousness now. But it does strike me as being this kind of very telling thing that people um, that this sort of gurus, as as they used to put it in Peanuts, in the Peanut Strips um, by Charles Schultz. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember Lucy Lucy Rampelt attempting to give Charlie Brown advice from her infamous advice booth once and she she tried to give him advice and said that she freely admitted she had no experience of herself and I remember Charlie Brown saying rather rightly oh good another unmarried married counsellor and um, and I do feel here that people and I'm not I won't single Marie Kondo out for this but she's a good example these sort of wellness gurus life advice gurus self-help gurus self-improvement gurus that seem to be so authoritative on what is good for us what we should do how we should live what's going to be good for us nothing lasts forever it turns out and what is good at one moment in time as Marie Kondo actually very wisely puts it might not work for you at another moment in time perhaps these statements of you know uh, self-care self-help Maybe they ought to be made a little bit less definitively because 
life changes as as uh, David Bowie put it so memorably life takes a cigarette puts it in your mouth and before you know where you are you've got three kids your jumpers aren't folded in boxes anymore it's all it's all very different so maybe this is maybe the, what this is showing is the fallibility of advice generally the fallibility of thinking thinking of certain way of proceeding will last forever when it won't and the idea that that you know all philosophies are always vulnerable to attack or change. It's like how all thesis and all theories are, are vulnerable to change. Um, you know, Karl Popper and the black swans, all swans are white. And then you find a black one and you have to refine your, your hypothesis. It turns out self-help gurus are not immune from this either. I felt I felt so distressed. I felt like it was the Pope turning <laughs> away from Christianity. It turns out Father Christmas Condo does not exist. <sighs> exactly. I think it's the long haul that's the difficulty. It's not too hard to undergo a bit of a tidy up, but keeping it up long term is the tricky part. And I think that especially if life intrudes like illness, COVID mm. or in Marie Kondo's case, three children under the age of seven. But yeah. um, I'm, I'm going to try and continue to keep to the does it spark joy maxim. I think it's still yeah. uh, I, I think the, the perhaps the issue in her first wave of fame yes. was the rigidity of it I think yes it's, this it, is the point I'm trying to make less eloquently yeah. that's spot on in um in 50 or 100 years time people will look back at musicians and famous people from this era and I think it's probable that after such a time the famous people will be recalled by a a, a sort of shorthand so mm. it'll be Brian Wilson sandbox the who smashing up instruments oasis arguments and breakups uh, mm. chris martin weird crouching on thing on stage juliet harris loved awful instrumentals that sort of thing <laughs> Every, everyone reduced to a miniature of themselves yeah. um, <laughs> i thought you were gonna i thought you were gonna praise me for my quizzing adventures clearly not <laughs> yeah that probably that's that would be fair in ozzy osborne's <laughs> case biting the head off that poor oh, bat, bat yes. yeah incidentally as an aside anyone who watched the osborne's um tv <laughs> reality show 20 years ago will know that there was a home that needed the marie kondo treatment oh absolutely even i found that stressful oh, um, my word. the fact they had so many ovens which he memorably commented on and the fact that they had that enormous tv that he did not know how to work uh, the part, one of my favorite early storylines of the osborne's was ozzy osborne uh, whatever they wanted to watch on tv he would always end up on the weather channel by accident at any moment <laughs> in time and would always be shouting for Sharon to come and change it off the weather channel for him. Um, yes um, unlike many uh, musicians of his vintage who either carry on and on and on or fade away and, and sadly pass on Ozzy um, this week Jules he's announced that he's retiring Yes, he is, because he and actually I thought his statement for someone that, as you say, is famous for being confused on a reality TV program and biting the head off a bat. Um, I thought his statement was rather dignified, actually. And I wish that more people took this approach where he just he just said, I'm not physically capable of doing this anymore. He said, um, I've come to the realisation that I'm not physically capable. I couldn't deal with the travel required. Um, his, um, his body's physically weak. He, he uh, had a, a major accident where he damaged his spine. Um, he did write expletives in capital letters at various points in the state, which I also very much enjoyed. Um, and he said that he was, um, I thought it was very sweet. He was looking for ideas where we'll be able to perform without having to travel from city to city and country to country. And thanked his fans for their endless dedication, loyalty, support, and for giving me the life that I never ever dreamed I would have. I'm very, I'm very sad that he's had to give it up, but I very much admire the good sense that he has in in saying, you know, I can't do this anymore. I saw a photograph of, I think we talked about him previously, of Phil Collins recently, and he really mm, does not look in a good way. Lord. It's yeah. really bad. So, um, so I think that it's. It's, you know, mortality catches up with everybody in the end. But um, I wish Ozzy Osbourne well. I, I've, I've always enjoyed the musical Black Sabbath. I find him to be a, a, a bizarre figure, but nonetheless, particularly in his later years, rather rather enjoyable. And I, 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 I just think it's a real pity. But equally, the man is 74 and unwell. And I don't mean to sort of write people off, but equally... You know, as as you, your lovely idea of going to see the gutter snipe people when they're now 65. Um, yeah, we don't stay 20 forever, do we, any of us? So, um, so yeah, I, I am sorry that he had to give up, but I thought that his statement was quite dignified. He clearly tried and tried. And actually, all of the response I saw online was just, well, just keep making records then. We'll keep buying them. 
and you just think that's nice <laughs> yeah, absolutely i mean you alluded to this bit but i did notice that ozzy mm. says in his statement that and this is a, a, a yeah. sentence of quote my team is currently coming up with ideas for where i'll be able to perform without having to travel from mm, city to yes. city and country to country end of quote and of course that suggests an, an adele in las vegas type yes, scenario does, or even it? an abba hologram um, i, I wondered if it was going hologram mm. that was my interpretation of that but it's just like it's just pop stars are just like boxers who can't stop getting mm. into the ring in their 40s and 50s that pop stars too they just can't seem to let go of that adrenaline rush of the live performance so um, yeah yes. agreed so i'm glad that ozzy osbourne was sensible enough to do so because otherwise mm. yeah it would not have ended nicely perhaps he could get together with marie kondo and they could put a tv series together <laughs> Do you know, uh, Marie Kondo attempting to organise at the Osborne's house, that would that would break Netflix records, wouldn't it, for sure? That would be, that would be, stick that a whole six or BBC Two, I watch that. <laughs> Coming right up, farewell to Tom Verlaine and Barrett Strong. That's next after Julia Fordham. I love Julia Fordham's voice. Mm. It, it has such beauty and purity. This is from her first album in 1988. And as a single, it reached number 27 in the UK. It's Julia Fordham and Happy Ever After. 
I very much agree with you. I very much enjoy singers that just sing, and mm. I would put her in that box. She's excellent. And it, of course, at the time, it had a very significant message because it was about uh, apartheid in South mm, Africa mm. and uh, Nelson Mandela and his um, obviously his mm. um, Walk to Freedom and so on. Um, in the height of the so-called punk era in 1977, mm. Tom Verlaine and television, they changed the way punk had been both played uh, and and played out and portrayed. Mm. I think there was a, there was an unwritten rule following the, the the dam, the clash, the jam. Play it fast, get in and out. Yes, uh, it's all got to be done in under three minutes. And if there's got to be a guitar solo, it needs to be done in in just a few seconds. Mm. And then we heard the buzz about the band Television from New York, and it turned out their album. And we need to bear in mind the band had emerged from the CBGB punk scene. Mm. Their album marking moon um its title track was 10 minutes long and had this mm. massive guitar break on it uh the feel of it was more sort of riders on the storm yes. than yes. Neat, neat. so th- there's a strong argument that this album changed the direction of music away from the frantic and furious mm. and it, it, it sort of arty jags jagged feel yeah it opened the door for talking heads pixies mm. rem and many many more and a lot of post-punk as well i think as well very much so. In fact, much of this, Jules, due to singer, writer and guitarist Tom Verlaine. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a brilliant summary. Also, an excellent collaborator as well. I, I very much like him. Like you say, television, brilliant. Also a big collaborator with one of my favourites, Patti Smith, um, yes. one-time romantic partner, played guitar on her debut single, Hey Joe, and on Break It Up from her debut album, Horses. He would later play with her. He also co-wrote that for, for Patti Smith, and he played with her in 2005 for a 30th anniversary concert of Horses in its entirety, which was released on CD and which is excellent. But I think my sort of favourite idea, and the thing that I really like about him, and I, and, and I love about those sort of certain types of older musicians, is that they get a lot from collaborating with the sort of generations that they inspired. He was part of the Million Dollar Bashers, which is a great name, a super group that featured Sonic Reuth's Lee Ronaldo and Steve Shelley, Shelley rather, Nels Klein from Wilco, uh, Tony Garnier, who played Bob, uh, bass for Bob Dylan, amongst other things, uh, Smokey Hormel, the blues guitarist. Um, just that's such a that's such a great lineup, I think, and I love the idea of the sort of open-mindedness. Um, John Medeski was in that as well, the keyboard player, who was an avant-garde uh, avant-garde jazzer and I, I, I that's what I like about television and sort of Sonic Youth who they inspired and bands like that um, that like you say it was past the kind of basicness of punk which as we talked about at the top when we were talking about the gutter snipes can be very thrilling but like you say the fact that it kind of widened widened the lens and widened the vision of it was it was brilliant he was a huge factor in that and uh, you know uh, his legacy will live on I'm sure that's absolutely it now when we think about Motown songwriters, Holland, mm. Dozier, Holland tend to dominate our, our memories, probably rightly, yes. as they were the most prolific. Ashford uh, and know, Simpson, we, I would say, probably as Ashford well. and Simpson, I was also going to say Smokey Robinson. Several mm. of us wrote, wrote plenty of Motown hits, including Barrett Strong, who mm. was in the he was in the same class at school with Aretha Franklin and Lamont Dozier. <laughs> That's um, incredible. What a school, eh? That's what a, incredible. The classroom that must have been. Um, Barrett Strong, he teamed up with uh, producer Norman Whitfield mm. and came up with a fantastic run of Motown hits. I heard it through the grapevine, war, wherever I lay my hat, Papa was a Rolling Stone, many, many more. Yes. George Barrett Strong, he, in a sense, he's the forgotten songwriter of Tamla Motown. Yes, very much agree. And actually, I didn't know until I was doing smooth um, not smooth selling uh, Saturday social during lockdown um, and I really started concentrating on that Motown music again I, like you say I only really knew him for his own hits his, mm. as a performer I didn't I hadn't really recognised the fact that he was a really good song well I say really good that seems rather um, an inadequate way of putting it but as an excellent songwriter as well alongside Norman Whitford as you rightly say um, yeah not often mentioned in terms of you know in, in terms of a you know a, a great songwriter known for performing um tamla's first single money that's what i want which reached number two in the on the us r&b chart in 1960 um so many people have covered that song um interestingly um barrett strong claimed that he co-wrote that with gordy and janie bradford and his name appears on the song's original copyright registration at the u.s copyright office but barry gordy 
who I, I won't say what I was going to do about Paracordy. <laughs> but, um, I think we know what you were going yes, to say. It disputed these claims, sta- stating that, that Strong's name was only included because of a clerical error. That is the weakest excuse I think I've ever heard from anybody, but even from Barry Gordy, like you say. Um, he did a lot of the Temptation psychedelic period as well, which I thought was quite good. Um, uh, Cloud Nine, I Can't Get Next to You, good Psychedelic Shack, Ball of Confusion, Papa was a Rolling Stone. Like you say, completely underrated as a songwriter, forgotten as a songwriter. Um, mostly just remember for money, I think, the, the sort of the original version of money. But no, I, I, like you say, if you went into a bar that played sort of motown type music, you'd hear at least one of his that you knew every word of, wouldn't you? You, you're men- you've reminded me mentioning, of course, that he sang the original version of Money, which had temporarily sort of forgotten. Um, that had a massive effect on the Beatles because yes, it did. Um, his version of Money, if I remember rightly, was discovered by George Harrison in Brian Epstein's NEM shop in Liverpool mm. and took it back to the other Beatles. And they, they performed it. Yeah, they performed it at their audition at Decca in yes. 1962. Yeah. And, um, of course, it was on their – no, it wasn't on the first album. It was on the second album. Yes, but so, when, you, yeah. when you look at the number of people that have covered it, yeah. Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, The Kingsman, Richard Wiley and his band, Jerry Lee Lewis, The Searchers, The Flying Lizards, really did revive it, I think, really, in the late yes. 70s, bigger post-punk in the late 70s, early 80s, yes. The Sonics and Buddy Guy. I mean, that's a pretty strong lineup of people to have done that, isn't it, really? It's, it's, it's quite – quite um it's quite something else he bless him he, he founded a record label called blarrett records in 1995 he founded the company as a means of providing opportunity and support for aspiring musicians in detroit he stated young people are always coming to me saying can you help us get something going he said i thought wow there's still so much talent here they just don't have anywhere to go i really admire someone keeping remembering where they came from and like like you say like with tom verlaine trying to help people up from below them younger people as well i really admire that so uh good good work barrett strong and r.i.p yeah so they but they both uh seem to have influence far and wide but uh as you say yes both tom verlaine and barrett strong died this week thanks very much for listening this week good to have you along as always thanks awfully now, we talked about Barrett Strong's influence on music in the 1960s, equally, equally influential in the 2020s, Juliet <laughs> Harris on the radio. I mean, bless you. you you've, you've really recovered from slagging off of my love of instrumentals, which means I can now talk about a show featuring instrumentals unimpeded. Ahaha. Anyway, I do two shows, one which Terence is very keen on, and one which you've actually embraced despite you've overcome your prejudices, I which have, I, I love it. to be very yeah. proud of you. So on Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m., you can hear Smooth Sailing on Noisebox Radio, which is an internet station, and that's the show that I do that is... Um, comfort food i would say on a sunday evening so yacht rock mor aor easy listening classic pop that sort of thing and the other show i do is on thursday evenings from 8 to 9 p.m it's called lost for words and it's instrumentals of all kinds not just the kinds that terence dislikes some other kinds as well and both shows go up on our mixcloud channel which go to mixcloud.com and search for noisebox radio you can find all the previous shows up there to play us out a very underrated band from los angeles yeah, I'm glad you agree. I'm a big fan of this band. I saw them. I I didn't see them live last year, and I really regretted it mm. afterwards because I saw them in would have been about 2013, I reckon, at Brixton Academy touring this album that this came from, and I I just thought they were the bee's knees. I thought they were so good, and uh, they they are a really interesting outfit. They they, uh, they had a, Hollywood actresses in them originally. They're the sort of young women I wish I was quite cool enough to be, but I'm not sure I quite am. But I'm a huge fan of their sound, which has developed over the years. But again, much like Tame Impala, I'm always in this sort of a mood this week that I've gone for stuff that's a little bit sort of washed out and a little bit sort of mellow and a little bit listless. But um, I really like this. This is by Warpaint. It's from their self-titled album from 2013, rather. And this is called Love Is To Die.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production.